Hello and welcome to the Movie Moulin podcast. As always, I am your host, Ben Yenny, uh, and this is the podcast where we take, where we have serious people talk about serious topics in a somewhat silly way, occasionally, at least. Uh, and we always talk about the money behind the movie industry. And there are few more knowledgeable on that topic than my guest today, who is Bruce Nash. Bruce is the founder and uh, head of thenumbers.com, which, in my opinion, is still the best place to get your movie metrics. Bruce, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ben. It's really nice to be here. Good to see you, as always. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you for having me on. No problem. Um, so for those of you who, for those who don't know, could you say a little bit about what The Numbers actually is? Yeah, of course. Um, so as uh, many people will know, um, but if you're new to it, The Numbers is a uh, movie website. We track box office um, and uh, movie release schedules um, and other stuff um, really created with the idea of trying to cover um, as much of the um, industry as possible, in, in particularly in terms of box office, although we've expanded it over the years to cover the home market and um, and now streaming. And, um, uh, you know, I would say that the thing that really distinguishes it is that we, we try to do it from a analytical perspective. So everything that we do as we put it into our now fairly huge database, we're thinking about how do we use that to enhance our ability to understand the industry. So we have things like a movie classification system, which is specifically designed to answer questions like, how are horror movies doing? How are science fiction movies doing? How are animated movies doing? And allowing us to do then from that predictions about what, uh, you know, looking ahead in the next week or so, the Marvel's movie is about to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, ultimately, how is the um, the industry looking, you know, what is the project projected box office for the rest of the year or through 2024? Um, so, yeah, really numbers, numbers, numbers. Um, try to gather as much, report them as quickly as possible. And I think we're the first to come out with the daily numbers each day. Mm -hmm. um, but also, you know, to have that kind of deep dive into the the analytical side as well. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, I personally use it for my consulting services. And I've also known Bruce for years at this point. And I've even done a little bit of consulting for him, um, through him, I guess, I suppose. Um, so how are you different from someplace like IMDb or Box Office Mojo? Yeah, um, good question. Well, I think there's there's a few things. Um, so, you know, first of all, that that idea that we're really built for the analytics um, mm -hmm. is, you know, is is important. So um, it's, you know, trying to, to classify things in a way that's going to be usable to do predictions, um, you know, is, is really, you know, one of the ways that, that we dis dis distinguish ourselves. Um, I mentioned that we sort of we we have you know things like the video release schedule. Mm -hmm. We track all of the releases now on the, the streaming platforms. So everything that's coming up on Netflix, you'll find along with Disney Plus and Peacock and Paramount Plus and, and Max. Um, and we're sort of slowly sort of building that into you know a much more comprehensive database on TV shows in, in general. So. Um, 
one of my one of my team has very patiently entered every episode of The Simpsons, um, and you know we're building that out across, you know, across the the, the TV space. But again, bringing that kind of analytical perspective to it. Um, so you know, classifying TV shows, adding in, we have a very extensive keyword system to to identify particular. Uh, you know, plot points in movies and, you know, again, in, in, in on the TV side of things uh, as well. Um, so that's really kind of the second part. And then the third thing, honestly, is, you know, we're not part of Amazon. Um, and, you know, we, we have that that really actually gives us quite a lot of flexibility. Um, you know, I think a lot of people will, will know that, that, you know, Mojo used to be free and then they took I don't know, 75% of it basically behind a paywall and said, well, okay, it, this is now just part of IMDb Pro and we're going to use it to promote IMDb Pro. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we're not sort of constrained in that way. Of course, ultimately we have to make money, but, you know, we're really looking at it as how do we meet the needs of our, of our customers, try to make as much of it free as we possibly can. And then you know, obviously around that, we've got a data licensing business, Opus Data. Mm -hmm. We have our uh, numbers business report, our magazine, which is new. We just came out with that um, last month. Uh, hard at work on issue two for November right now. Um, so building things around that, but keeping the core as being, you know, this central place that people can come to to find the latest box office and, and analysis. Um, and as I say, more and more on streaming and, and that market as well. Yeah, um, it's good to hear that you're doing stuff with television. Um, do you actually like index the Nielsen ratings to it or anything along those lines? Not, not right now. What we're we're gathering um, the um, all of the streaming charts. Mm -hmm. um, we actually we started, and then Netflix changed the charts that they published, and we sort of have rejiggered that but we are gathering all that data and and we're going to be building that out on the site well so uh, so we, you know we'll have you know the ability to see what are the most successful shows on max for example based on what has been in their top 15 or 10 or whatever they they do every day um you know going back from from when they started to to do those rankings uh, on the different platforms I mean, I know that a lot of the people listening would probably much rather have actual view counts and anything on that, but and I'm sure you and I both would as well, but that unfortunately only exists in the uh, servers of Netflix itself and is not publicly available at all. So given that, um, how do you... So you mentioned a little bit about uh, using the top 10 and the top 20 data metrics from these streamers is there anything else you do to source data from streamers specifically uh so on the streaming side that is um about it i mean of course we're also looking at the financial side of that which mm -hmm. um you know actually you know in many ways it doesn't really matter how many people watch the show on netflix it matters mm -hmm. what netflix has paid you for the rights to that show um, you know, of course, you know, for season two or season three, that can make a big difference, um, mm -hmm. you know, but, um, uh, you know, we are looking at what Netflix are paying for shows, um, well, particularly for movies, um, mm -hmm. and we love, work with a lot of independent filmmakers on doing our comp analysis reports, which is 
we don't like to call them predictions about how their movies are going to make because there are many, many factors. And I know that you have a whole podcast um, devoted to to the many topics around that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, we are looking at what they're paying for independent documentaries, what they're paying for independent features, um, how much they're paying to, to um, you know, buy movies out of Sundance and the other mm-hmm. festivals. So we're gathering all of that data and and building models around that so that we can say to, a, you know, a client, you know, if you're making this independent film and you get bought out of a festival, this is sort of the financial model that you, you would have. If you don't get bought from the festival, then this is the financial model that you would have. And obviously streamers are now a really important part of that because mm-hmm. probably, you know, in a given festival season, um, they're buying, you know, at least half of the films that are that are being, you know, bought out of festivals. They're not really being bought quite so much by focus features and what is now, of course, searchlight pictures. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in in the way that that uh, that happened, you know, a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, the focus searchlight class, Sony Classics, all of them do still buy stuff, but not to the same degree that they used to. And even if they do end up buying it a decent percentage of the time they'll end up on a streamer after a theatrical and some other physical that they might do which is becoming which died a lot more recently than people realize i think it's still not dead it's just not good not even what it was two or three years ago yeah that's actually something we're, we're looking into um and um we I actually just came off of, of a meeting where we were discussing uh, this very topic. Um, you know, it's something that we're going to look at actually probably in the December issue of the of the Numbers Business Report um, is what what has happened to independent box office in the mm-hmm. in the post pandemic world um, because you could be pretty prior to the pandemic you could be pretty certain that about five percent of box office earnings. In, in the domestic market in North America was going to come from independent film. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some of them, you know, very small independent films that, you know, we're going to play in five or six theaters for a few weeks and, you know, maybe earn $25,000, $30,000. That would be um, great for five or six theaters. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that would be a nice nice run for an independent film. But there were a lot of films that kind of did that kind of, of business. And we're not really seeing that. Um, certainly in what's getting reported to us. And so the question that we're asking is, has that stopped? Are are these films just not making that kind of money? Is it that the distributors, you know, they sat at home during the pandemic and thought, what do I want to do with my life? And they decided that one of the things they didn't want to do was to compile all those numbers and send it out to the press every Mm -hmm. Sunday morning. Um, So it may be that it's just not being reported anymore um you know or it could be something else um that that those films you know are now just going to you know that they, they, they've recognized that it's hard to build much momentum out of a theatrical release and mm-hmm. that it's better to just you know put all of your efforts into promoting it online getting it onto um you know transactional vod um platform and that's where you're going to make you know, your best returns, um, you know, particularly mm-hmm. with people perhaps not going back to theatres and the numbers that you need or the or the theatre that, you know, would be the right place to play that film no longer being in business. Um, 
And certainly that's a big issue. We've seen a lot of, you know, independent theaters around where we are just, you know, shut up shop. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's a big, you know, issue, I think, for, for independent film too. It is. I mean, I've had a hand in booking 12 or 13 different theatrical releases. And most of that, the only reason we were able to do that is we were able to partner with individual theaters and small chains that were able to take the film on a high commission on their end. And since then, a lot of those have shut up, have uh, closed their doors. And that's not just a problem for indie films, but I believe the industry as a whole. Um, Now, are you seeing a lot of people still going to the theater, even for the marquee releases? Like, obviously, we saw a lot with Barbenheimer. But beyond that, are you seeing much of a return to theaters? Yeah, I mean, I think for the big films, the 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 market is about eighty five percent of it what what it was pre pandemic. If you take into it, that's that's revenue. So okay. ticket prices have increased somewhat, not massively, but you know, mm-hmm. along with everything else, of course, you know, they they've they've been up, um, you know, from an average of you know nine dollars to ten dollars. You know, that kind of mm-hmm. uh, that kind of change. Um, you know, the US population has grown a little bit. Um, so, you know, I think you could say that ticket sales are, are down more than that. Um, mm-hmm. and there are definitely one of the things that we've seen as an issue is that the the studios, and this particularly coming out of the pandemic, they decided to really sort of squeeze all their films into very narrow times of year because they were expecting to have you know, potentially, you know, increases in COVID cases, you know, shutdowns, mm-hmm. you know, lockdowns and 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 theatres being forced to close. And so, you know, when they're planning out, you know, a year in advance and they say, well, we're not really sure that theatres are even going to be open in October and November 2023, let's say. Mm-hmm. So they say, OK, well, we'll move everything, make sure we're not releasing anything in those months because that's not that's just too risky. Um and so what we've seen is, you know, you'll get a spike. You'll have, you know, from Super Mario through Barbie and Oppenheimer, you know, really a big run of really, you know, high-profile movies, and then it kind of goes off a cliff in August, September, doesn't really come back in October, and then, you know, November, you know, around Thanksgiving, you start to get some films again. And the issue with that is you've got this big chunk in the middle of the year, well, you know, let's say August to October, Mm-hmm. But there's nothing really coming out. People get out of the habit of going to the theater every week or every couple of weeks, and then it takes something really big to get them back um, into that into the habit of of going. Um, so you know that I think is one of the big issues. You know, is that seasonality is mm-hmm. now you know more of an issue than than it used to be. Um, uh, yeah, but... uh, hasn't it always been somewhat of an issue? Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, August and September have always been slow um, Mm -hmm. for for new releases. Um, But there's really been, you know, times when there's been almost nothing coming out of any of any real note. Um, And I think that 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 is a change. Um, And, you know, to an extent, of course, that that vacuum has been filled with, you know, just recently the Taylor Swift era's tour Mm -hmm. movie, which, you know, was you know, landed in a, in a region where it could just have 
theatres to itself for you know for a weekend and really sort of for two weekends um you know and that's that would be hard for a movie like that to to do that and to just go to theatres hey we're here and for every theatre in the country to say that's great we're going to book you um yeah you know no uphill battle in getting that film into theaters once it was announced that's true and i i think there is a demand for people to still get out of the house and see stuff my mom saw the taylor swift eras tour which i thought was strange but (laughs) she did um with the girl next door like yay hi um but the i don't think that that's something that we that would have really happened even like a year or two before the pandemic yeah, I mean, you kind of, you know, I think someone like Taylor Swift becomes, you know, a mm-hmm. phenomenon, you know, in her own right. But I think, I think you're right that it it was an opportunity to do something that would become a real event, and that seems to be what people are really clamoring for. Um, not, you know, we saw it just this last weekend with Five Nights at Freddy's, um, which, mm-hmm. you know, is is. Uh, and and this I will say, you know, I'm probably the wrong demographic. It kind of passed me by. I didn't, I'd never heard of it until the the movie was announced. And even then, I thought, it was, you know, this video game that I've never heard of, never heard anybody really mm-hmm. speak of. But it has a legion of fans that you know I'm just mm-hmm. not connected with, and they were really you clearly excited. don't watch YouTube. I guess but, not. <laughs> um, but the uh, no, I agree. It's never been my thing. I. Five Nights is an interesting one, or FNAF, I suppose the kids say, um, in that it started almost as a uh, playable version of a creepy movie, and now it's a non-playable version of a passable creepy movie, from what I right. I haven't seen it. Right. Um, probably not going to see it, honestly. Do you have any way of tracking uh, transactional numbers, TVOD? because I'll probably say that later. Yes, we we do. Um now we we don't get act, we we do we do get actual numbers from distributors. Um mm-hmm. but on under NDA they you know won't allow us to share them with anyone of course. Um mm-hmm. so, so what, what we do is we kind of set up a bit of a Chinese wall where we um is that still a phrase we can use I'm not sure anyway. Um we have we have a wall, a barrier between the data that we get on um you know under nda um with actual numbers and then on the other side we're gathering all of the rankings each day from the major transactional vod platforms so apple movies voodoo google play and so forth right and so we're building up this record you know this movie and typically you know we're we're not getting these numbers from the studios so it's independent distributors who want to work with us in in some capacity will share it so that we've got better data for them they um you know so their films may be at number 583 on voodoo but we know that 583 on voodoo translated into two thousand dollars in spending on that title that that week and so that allows us to build out a model and say this is what we think you know, all of these films will have done from from TVOD on, on this week. Um, and then we map that against the market size, which is published by the DUG at the end of every mm-hmm. quarter, and, you know, and adjust to make sure that our total 
that our total sum of all transactional VOD spending matches the uh, the market size for for the um, for the quarter, um, and that gives us pretty good numbers. Um, there's yeah. some challenges now with you know premium VOD and um, mm -hmm. you know the way that that films are being released, but um, but it's it's pretty good from what we've seen of the actual numbers compared to what our, our model is, is producing. And we can do that for basically any film. You know, we're tracking 10,000 mm -hmm. films every week uh, on, on that system. Yeah, that at some point you have enough of a uh, sampling of the total market that you've got a pretty good assumption. It's not going to be right to the dollar, but it never would be anyway. So... Right, right, yes. And well, as, as you know, you know there can be considerable delays in reporting and and corrections no. and all of that. So um, yeah, I mean, so everybody's sort of flying a little a little blind. I mean, the one thing I will say, since you know I, I'm uh, you know perhaps reaching new people with this information that we're we're gathering this data, is that we cannot use it for any sort of legal action. You know, often people come to us and they say we think we've been ripped off. Can you give us the numbers that you have for this film? And, you know, we can give you those numbers, but, you know, they're complete estimates. We don't have any mm -hmm. sort of inside view of this particular film, particularly for independent film. You know, mm -hmm. you might do particularly well on some platform for a totally random reason. Mm -hmm. like, you know, it just sort of picks up a you know particular search term that somebody, you know, is, is likely to put into, you know, a particular search engine that your particular film will pop up you know, number three position and somebody will, will see it who otherwise wouldn't. That kind of stuff is hard for us to um to to model and it can make a huge difference actually to the end of end result for a film. So, you know, I think we're very good when we in, in our comp analysis reports we say find 20 similar films so we can tell you what a film like this is likely to do once we take the average on the comp analysis, then that number is pretty good because we're averaging across, you know, a variety of films. If you take in one of those individual films, then, you know, it could be off by a fair margin if you happen to have had one of these, you know, breakout successes on a particular platform. Or it's, you know, never never actually shown up, but, you know, Voodoo, for whatever reason, has said, you know, this is the number 10 film this week because they, they want to promote something or, you know, do something, to, you know, screw with that platform that, that week. Yeah, I mean, there's also um, your distributor can actually take part in some uh, seasonal uh, discounts and promotions there, which will have a gigantic impact on the bottom line of that film. But it might also incur an additional ad spend, which means that while the sales go up, uh, you might not actually make that much extra money on that period but you'll more than likely make some extra money on the increased awareness from uh down from uh future periods. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a it's one of those uh so much wind in the area you can't exactly tell what was blown over when by what. Right. Um, the no, that's really interesting. Um, do you do anything with Avon, ad-supported video on demand? It's the one thing that we haven't been able to crack so far. Um, 
you know what we've what we've seen anecdotally from uh, our clients is that AVOD tends to not generate very much revenue for an individual film. It tends most of the time, to, yeah. Um, it tends to be more of a um, sort of more effective if you've got a library, mm -hmm. and you know clearly on the AVOD platforms, if if you look at it, they'll they'll have a channel which is, you know, a particular producer sometimes of, of mm -hmm. you know, genre films and clearly they're doing okay from that but it's because they've got 30 films or 50 films or a thousand films that are all mm -hmm. you know in that genre and people will happily put them on and watch them you know through the day um but for an individual film that doesn't necessarily translate into a lot of revenue but that makes uh, sense. yeah curious what you've seen on that um on um on... i've had a couple films that uh, one notably that really overperformed on Avod, and I have also been seeing a downward trend on transactional TVOD. Um, and pretty much everybody on the distributor side is saying that the real money's in Avod, but it might be our own blinders because for a while we were saying that the real money's in catalog sales, which was true for distributors, but was not true for filmmakers because if you sell 50 films at a thousand each yeah you just made a pretty penny but each of your filmmakers may only made 700 to 800 dollars on that and that's not very good for them so that's right. the it's kind of the paradox of distribution in a way but it's a um those have been more what i've seen in general horror and creature features do really well on avod as do um, urban crime thrillers, I believe is how they're categorized, especially on Tubi there. And it's really funny to see that urban crime thrillers, the, the success of them on Tubi and AVOD uh, have actually changed the entire content strategy of some of the bigger outlets that used to make their bread and butter from that, like BET, All Black, or any of the more legacy um, Black channels. And they're actually focusing on higher brow, elevated, or Afrofuturist content, from mm. what I've heard, at least. So it's one of those, again, it's kind of a whole ecosystem that changes in one area can sometimes result in unexpected effects. So um, that's what I've seen on the sales end. Um, so we, uh, we're almost done with the, with where you source your data, but the one thing we haven't covered is physical media. Is there, is there, how do you do that? Yeah. I mean, it's really the same again. So we're, we're mm -hmm. looking, um, at the, you know, anything that's announced, um, and, you know, and publicly available, we, we gather all of that information. We, estimate market share for each title each week we look at how much the discs are selling for and then we eventually map that all back to the deg numbers so that we've got the right market size for for dvd and blu-ray and and actually for redbox as well or, or the physical rentals we we still do although of course all of those are in such steep decline at the moment that it's um uh you know an increasingly small share of, of revenue um and I, you know, I, I, I don't think it's going to die out, but I think that there are going to be a smaller and smaller number of films that are going to come out that way, 
and they're going to kind of pick their their channel um, when when they do so. Um, mm -hmm. so. You know, Redbox still rents quite a lot of sort of action thrillers, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and they, you know, still churn out those those films and get them on Redbox. So I assume somebody's making some money there from that. Um, but it's going to be those kind of niches rather than every independent film gets its DVD release and um, mm -hmm. you know, that's a source of, you know, some sort of relatively guaranteed revenue. Yeah. I mean, particularly with, you know, I think Best Buy just said they're not going to sell DVDs anymore. Yeah. So I think down to like Walmart and Amazon and maybe Target and their checkout counters, but, you know, really very, very limited channels for getting DVDs into people's hands these days. Yeah. I mean, I, there's still manufacturer on demand. MOD. I don't think that's going away anytime soon, but there's really not a ton of money in it at all. And um, you've got to be really careful with a brick and mortar retail release because most of the time they don't actually buy the discs from you. They just consign them and they return what yeah. they don't use. And that's that can be really punishing if a title underperforms your expectations. And, right. um, it's they, a, don't want, they don't want to take it unless you deliver you know, 10,000 units or whatever it is. And then if, yeah. if they only sell a thousand, then you've just got 9,000 discs you've got to find a home for. And at this point, that normally means destroy. It used to be that whatever was unsold, which was a lower percentage, would go to your Dollar Generals, your Walgreens, your supermarkets, all of that just down the line. So it wasn't really all that risky a proposition, but now that all those downline outlets have stopped, it's brutal for physical. Mm. Um, the yeah. So thanks for all that info on how you get your uh, metrics. Um, out of curiosity, who actually goes to visit the numbers dot com? <laughs> um... So I uh, just a ton of people. Um, so we, we get about a million visitors a, a, a week during the busy time. I think it's a little bit slower than that right now. Mm -hmm. um, and um, the majority, the vast majority are just big fans of movies, right? Who want to see mm -hmm. how their film did at the box office yesterday. Um, so that's sort of the the, the big sort of, um, numerical, uh, numerically the largest component of our uh, of our um, customers, um, and then you know really anybody in the industry who needs you know who needs data. Um, so a lot of independent filmmakers. Um, you know if if we talk to anybody at the studios, you know they they're using us. The the distributors the theaters you know everyone is sort of checking in when they are, you know are looking i think i think for that it sort of comes around um you know partly the box office but also the release schedules where i think now we have the most complete comprehensive theatrical release schedule certainly for north america um and we're we're building that out as a global um effort so we're we're tracking i think about 15 territories around the world if you go to a movie page on the numbers and click through on the international tab, you can see all of the international release dates for that film now. Um, and then for our clients, we're licensing that data. So 
increasingly and anybody at a studio or a distributor or a theatre chain who needs that information, please get in contact because we're trying to make that as much as possible a collaborative effort in mm -hmm. the industry because everybody knows how important it is and it's really hard to do across, you know, on a global basis and nobody has, you know, the complete answer to that yet. So that's something where we're investing a lot of effort right now is to, to be really comprehensive on that our relationship. Um, yeah, so it's anybody who's, you know, kind of needs that information. As I say, lots of independent filmmakers, you, you know, will use it when they're doing their planning for their film or trying to find out, you know, what their niche might be. Um, and then, you know, generally anybody, you know, who's in the business of, of movies and, and needs some, you know, hard hard data will, will come to us. That makes sense. Um, a million, up to a million a week is a lot. Um, I mean, if I was getting a million views on this podcast a week, I'd be like <laughs> overjoyed. You can help yeah. like, comment, subscribe. Sorry. <laughs> Couldn't help the plug. Um, the, um, do you have any idea how much of a percentage are, um, cinephiles and fans versus industry? Um, you know, I, we're, we're beginning to sort of really build that out. I, I would say, uh, you know the sort of the eighty twenty rule probably mm -hmm. prevails as a as a as a good rule of thumb. So eighty percent is you know a, a fan, twenty percent are in some way involved in the industry, which of course could be you know could involve include the you know the the usher at the local movie theater who just wants to know how busy their weekend is going to be. Um, you know up to you know the CEO of Walt Disney. You know probably goes there once in a while to see how their films are stacking up so um not to you know suggest there's any difference between them as human beings but uh you know it sort of runs the gamut of um you know people who are involved in some way or another with with the film business that makes yeah that's that's good um i remember being an usher at a movie theater and uh that was always a little bit of a challenge to see who would actually be coming out in the small mountain town to see I don't even remember what movies were playing. Mr. and Mrs. Smith, I think, was the hellest of my weeks. But dating myself a little bit. Um, you mentioned earlier that you have some insight to what genres perform well. And I'm sure that my audience would be unhappy if I didn't follow up on that. Yeah, well, I think that the, the way I would think about that, you know, really varies by, you know, budget range of, of movie in particular, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, a, a big budget studio movie is going to perform very differently from, you know, an independent film at a much lower budget. Um, and clearly there are genres at that at that lower budget range, which are sort of fairly consistent performers. You know, I already talked about action thrillers going through mm -hmm. Redbox. I think that's sort of a dwindling, uh, you know, niche, but I think it is one that's, you know, still, you know, stood the test of time. Horror, of course, you know, does very well. Um, so I think that there's there's some niches there that will work for, you know, low budget films fairly reliably, as long as you've got some catch that will actually get somebody to, you know, watch a trailer and say, okay, that looks pretty entertaining for, for 90 minutes. You know, I'll, I'll pay $2 or $3 to, 
to to rent that um <laughs> so i think you know think about you know having a good hook for the audience for your horror film for your thriller um you know sci-fi of course also works well there and i think you know for that you know lean more onto the story than onto the special effects at low budget because i think mm -hmm. people see through those um but you know Especially i think the tonight, right right yeah. um which will i'm sure two years from now we'll be having a whole discussion about how ai has changed that um but for now i think you know still that's you know it is it is important to have that kind of key idea that you can sell within within a genre film mm -hmm. um and then you know the other the other thing that really you know if you if you're not doing a genre film if you if you're doing a drama or a documentary um those are films that really live and die by by quality and mm -hmm. you know what we've what we've found over the years is if you're if you're looking to put together a drama um get every piece of advice you can on the quality of the script before you do anything and take that that feedback seriously um because i i think that you know where we've seen drama films break out it's either that it really speaks to a very very specific audience you know faith-based dramas can do quite well because mm -hmm. they, their audience is you know really eager to see that kind of content and a particular message um or it's just so high quality that everyone is going to talk about it and say well this is a, you know this was a really moving story or you know really touched me in, in some way um and to to achieve that you know the script is absolutely key and you know and and you know you have to take feedback on that very seriously you know even if mm -hmm. it means you know chopping you know a beloved character that you've written and you think is you know the heart of the movie if everyone says well they seem like it just doesn't work for me then you know take that feedback seriously and and you know and mm -hmm. adjust until you've got something that really resonates with an audience before you start committing that to film and start trying to edit it and, and, and put it, bring it out the other the other end completely that makes sense i know you and stephen follows did some articles for uh the american film market uh, a couple of years ago um and one of those was around dramas and i know because people still send it to me um but the uh i'm going to clip this out and start sending them this as well um but the dramas are significantly more execution dependent than your horrors your actor your action or your family movie um the way i've heard it said is that they want either babes and blood for horror girls and guns for action or kids and dogs weirdly that one it's that one just it's always those three and always the same distributors which makes you look a little funny at them <laughs> but the um so do you think ai is going to have a big impact on international in particular i i think there's some really interesting you know, corner cases that, that we're already beginning to see. Um, and, uh, you know, actually, I just noticed a headline this morning of the, the, um, uh, the, is it fall, I think, or is it the fall, fall, um, mm -hmm. about the two young women at the, the top of the tower. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, that they they used um, uh, AI technology, I think you could argue, to, um, to, to, to do the lip syncing for the international dubs on that. Mm -hmm. on that right. So they could, and it was pretty inexpensive. They could just package it for, you know, a, a German speaking film and it would look as though they were speaking German through through the entire film. And that was a nice little pocket film where, where you only had two, you know, main characters and you, you know, there were things that you could do that made it efficient to, to do that, that kind of thing. I think that is a very interesting path mm -hmm. for, for the industry, not necessarily trying to make, you know, a CGI mm -hmm. AI generated movie out of your science fiction idea, but taking a film that is, you know, really well marketable for the North American market and making it more accessible around the world, you know, with that sort of augmentation, I think that's that's an interesting niche um, for the industry at, at this point. I would you know, agree with that. Subtitling, yeah. you know, in different languages, again, can be very expensive um, and, you know, prohibitive for getting your film into you know, let's say Eastern Europe, where, you know, there are many different languages um, and you might say, well, I can't really afford to translate this into Slovenian on the hope that somebody pays me, you know, for Slovenian rights for this. But mm -hmm. if you complete it into a system that will write those um, subtitles at very low cost, then I think that becomes, you know, pretty interesting for opening up new markets too. I would agree. Um, most of the time when I've done international sales that required a new that would require some new translation of the subtitle, I haven't advised the filmmaker to do it until we've made the sale and there's been an MG on it. So they might have to flow, cash flow the money, but they're going to get the money. It's yeah. a um, or we are going to get the money and we'll pay for it. One of the two. The biggest thing I've seen a lot of those from is airlines as well airlines you have to generally deliver like eight languages with um and right. that's one i think a lot of filmmakers don't think about um yeah sorry bruce that was less for you and more for the audience but the uh, no, that's yeah. i mean that, that's very interesting yeah yeah mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah. yeah um do you think theatrical still matters for filmmakers indie filmmakers specifically yeah um see the December issue of uh, <laughs> the Numbers Business Report, where we, we hope to have a bit more of an answer to this. Link in the comments. That's what yeah. yeah. Um, I I think it's a really important and, and difficult to answer question at this, at this point. Clearly, you know, we've been through this period of turbulence and we've come out with significantly fewer theatres that are a good match for independent films. And I think that that's, to me, is the biggest kind of issue um, because you're now having to get into, you know, a AMC and, and Cinemark and so forth have survived actually fairly well, um, mm -hmm. all back, albeit, you know, some of them going through bankruptcy and restructuring and, and so on. But, but you know, the theatres are still there, um, but you're, you know, but it's hard to get an independent film into an AMC theater very often um and so that i think is the big issue that that you know the venues have gone away a little bit mm -hmm. the audience maybe isn't there in quite the same way i mean i think you could you know definitely we've seen some reluctance 
of some of the older audiences for coming back mm -hmm. to theaters. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's I think it's a real challenge. Um, and you know, at the same time, you know, it's it's easier than ever to get your film out onto home market platforms. You know, whether it's AVOD, TVOD. Uh, you know, there's lots of platforms that are very happy to take films as long as they kind of meet a minimum, you know, quality requirement. Mm -hmm. But the big risk there is that you might, you know, you're going to be lost amongst, you know, a sea of other films that are taking the same approach. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, and I, you know, definitely interested in your thoughts on this, but I, I think theatrical as a way of making money is probably very marginal at this point, but maybe a good way of just of differentiating the film and getting you know, some people to start seeing us and talking about it in a different context. So, I, yeah, I believe we're in agreement on this. Um, the challenge these days isn't so much getting access to platforms. It's access, it's rising above the white noise of all the other content and just getting consumer attention on that. Yeah. Um, and the, so it really becomes more of a marketing challenge than a distribution one. And it's more about figuring out how to keep your potential audience excited and get them to and keep enough of their attention that they want to buy it, which part of which is just exposing them to the IP, to the film, at least 15 or 20 times at this point. Like mm -hmm. we just did a uh, poster drop for a film that's not even done uh, today. Because we got a really cool new poster and comicbook.com uh, put it out there and it's getting a little bit of traction, but I don't expect this to make me any money. I just hope it'll get some people it the IP in the back of some people's heads so that once we get closer to the release, they might remember hearing something about that. And that's kind of the game. So you want to keep most of those customer customer interactions towards the very close to the release but i wanted to do this one anyway because it's the first day of afm and i thought it might have some buyer spillover too so right. um the and deadline doesn't tend to do uh poster drops it has to be the fan sites normally um right. Yeah, this is something we're, we're thinking about with, with the numbers, actually. I mean, to go back to our discussion of mm -hmm. you know, the audience on, on the numbers, um, you know, we, we've we uh, resisted doing advertising uh, on the numbers for, for a while. Um, hosting costs are sort of easing into our ability to, to do that. And and obviously, you know, from business sense, it makes sense to, to do some advertising on the site. Um, and we really are looking at, you know, what can we do to help you know, movies succeed by advertising through us or, you know, doing some promotion with us. So, um, you know, very, I mean, to, to kind of my sales hat for a moment, um, you know, do reach out to us if you're, if you're looking, you know, to do that kind of promotion for, for a film where, um, you know, we're very recently open for business and we're really looking to get some sense of how, you know, how we can really help reach the right audience for a film um and and learn about you know the best the best way to to do that um so you know this at the moment isn't you know a big mm -hmm. you know so much an opportunity for us to make money as it is for us a, a, a way to figure out what our value can be for the film to to reach its its targets um, mm 
and then we'll make money once once we know once we know the value then we can say well oh, yeah this is this is how much you're gonna have to pay for it so it is the right time to be talking to them because like even with google when they started the click-throughs were only like five cents maybe that's that's not true anymore um and uh when you're still helping someone assess their own value that's where you can actually get the best prices for you and you also help them grow their business so right um right. Yeah. i mean it has it has to it has to make sense for our customers in for in in order mm-hmm. for it to be a sustainable business for us so uh, yeah it's very important to us so uh what other services do you offer besides the advertising to keep the lights yeah. on? Yeah. So we've got, um, you know, the numbers website. We have the numbers business report, which I've already talked about a couple of times. Uh, is, our, mm-hmm. is our magazine. Um, and uh, and then we've got uh, Opus Data, which is our subscription, our data subscription service. So we license the data in the, to, and that's mo- mainly to like the major studios, streaming platform. Mm-hmm. Wall Street, um, you know, people in the sort of serious number crunching, um, you know, side side of things. That's actually technically the biggest part of our business, mm-hmm. um, and you know, and really where the growth has been over the last few years. As of course, everybody's, you know, caught up to the fact, you know, in in that world that big data is really important, and they need to have good data that is actually going to drive their business decisions. Um, so, yeah, we've we've. You know, that's really been the sort of boom part of our business in the last sort of three, four years. Um, yeah, no, that, I mean, that makes sense. I know you also mentioned that you do the uh, comp analysis and a few other things earlier in this podcast. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, independent filmmakers in particular, we, we do an analysis. You know, basically you come to us with your, your film, your pitch deck, a budget a genre and so forth and then we find 20 comparable films we run all the numbers that we've just been talking about um for those 20 and use that to do you know our low medium high analysis for this film what we think its potential is um under those different distribution mm-hmm. scenarios that we were talking about as well you know most films of course are not going to be bought out of sundance so you know normally mm-hmm. we would recommend you know be realistic um you know about the mix of, of films that you use but we can give you a pretty good idea of what it's likely to do you know not just at the box office but also through these video channels and and um tv a little bit for some films and, and then some other users as well mm-hmm. on the sundance end um it's only about two percent of feature submissions that get in according to their own data i think um, do you happen to know how many of those films that get in actually get a meaningful deal out of it? That's a great question. I would say probably about 10% would be my just rough guess on that. That's where I was too, just as a guess. Uh, yeah. Um, and yeah, that's... I mean, it's, 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 it's tough to go that route. Um, mm-hmm. And and often the sales actually are kind of films that you would expect to sell anyway, because they're, you know, a director who's who's well established, um, or you know, or you know, the cast is so stellar that it's going to play around around the world. Um, I think to go in with a film that is sort of from an unknown director with an unknown cast, 
it's got to be really, really spectacular to to get a sale out of um, Sundance. Yeah. Well, uh, I know you have a heart out, and uh, we, I though I could keep talking to you for quite a the while. Hours flown by here. Thank you. Yes. Um. So I'm going to move towards the uh, to the three questions I ask all my guests. Um. The first of which is, what are your top three favorite movies of all time? As it stands, right this second now, it can change in 15 seconds, can change in 10 minutes, but just what are you vibing on now? Ah, okay. Um, Well, top three of all time. Um, So The Shawshank Redemption. Um, I would have to say one of the Lord of the Rings movies, probably The Fellowship of the Ring, Mm -hmm. uh, would be there. And um, number three would be Moulin Rouge. That's a good one. Nobody said that one yet. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, I wouldn't have thought of that old Boz Lerman film. Yes. Yes. Oh. Um, yes. I and, and of, of course all of them, you know, for the time that you saw it and, and the context in which you saw it, you know, kind of what it means to you personally. But uh, yeah, those would be my top three. Good three. Um second, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, what would that advice be? And when would you give it to yourself? Doesn't have to change anything. Just old, just what advice would you give your younger self? Yeah. Um, so the, the one, the, the one thing that I've, you know, really realized, um, and I don't know when I would tell myself this, but um, is the importance of just being really, really, really good at one thing. Um, that if you, you know, there's there's a famous, um, you know, there, there's a famous graph that sort of shows up in every industry, in every context, you know, this, the, what's called the power law graph, where, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at the number one movie at the box office, on average, it does twice as much as the number two movie and three mm-hmm. times as much as the number three movie and so on. It's this kind of, you know, mm-hmm. hockey stick graph. Uh, and that applies to to everything, you know, the business profitability, you know, the most profitable business in North America makes about twice as much as the second most profitable and, and so on and so forth. Um, and so, you know, whenever you're doing any sort of, um, you know, business venture, you know, you have to think about what is it, what is the one thing that I'm going to have to be better at than anybody else and how do I make sure that I really focus on doing that and making sure it's of course something that's useful to people um you know so that's what obviously I've tried to do you know in in my business um and you know and I believe that's really you know the general rule for for being successful in almost any endeavor ask Michael Jordan Uh, (laughs) that's a really good point um yeah i think i have a blog on that way back in the archives too um Mm. the third and final question artist of the bunch um where can people find you and what are you looking for i know we already uh kind of went over that but yeah um so you know it depends a little bit um you know so we're at the numbers.com um is you know the the primary you know websites um and, and that's info. the dash numbers.com still actually we've now bought the numbers with no dash so so you can go to either um 
We haven't rebranded as the numbers.com, but uh, we have both that and the dash numbers.com. Um, so either will take you there. Um, Nash Info Services is our corporate site, nashinfoservices.com. And um, and that's and then opusdata.com is our is our data service business. Um, and uh, if you go to the numbers and um, actually forget what we I better look this up while I'm talking. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a pull down on the numbers website called our services, and that lists all of the different services that we have, our research services, our data services, the numbers business report and so forth. Awesome. Well, Bruce, thank you very much. You're welcome back anytime. Um, the And like I said, it has been fun. I hope that uh, us nerding out on numbers hasn't lost all of my audience, but you know what? <laughs> it was worth it. What um, is the half-life of, uh, <laughs> of, of number nerding out? Um, yes, let's hope it's greater than 30 minutes. Um, indeed. Uh, really great to talk to you anyway, Ben. It's been, been a lot of fun as always. As always. So this has been the Movie Moolah podcast. Uh, if you liked it, please like, comment, subscribe. If you're on YouTube, hit that bell. If you are anywhere else, hit auto-download. And don't forget my free independent film business resource package with a free investment deck template, two free ebooks, and a whole lot more. Thanks very much and see you next week.